Welcome to the Armageddon Retrospect Podcast. I think that for today it'd be appropriate to do a drink pairing. I have here an estate bottled Beth Serene Merlot. It's a 1925 vintage. It was the grapes were stomped on by Abraham himself in the House of Princes in California. Let me give this a try. Mm, wow. That does not disappoint. Millions of tannins in here that will never go away. Mm, wait, what's this? Mm, is that one of Abraham's beard hairs? Oh, hope it's a beard hair. Uh, well, a little inside extra was Witness humor there for you, which will hopefully become apparent, even if you weren't a Jehovah's Witness, why I'm making reference to that. Why is that appropriate? Well, today's episode, I would like to talk about the second and third presidents of the Watchtower Society after a long wait and zero research on my part. I did the original episode on Charles Taze Russell, the Taze, the first president, and promised this one, and I'm finally just going to do it off the top of my head. <laughs> just to get it done. And there's just a few points I really want to touch on on the second and third presidents of the Watchtower. The second president being Joseph Rutherford, Judge Rutherford as he went by, and Nathan H. Knorr, the third president. So let's just talk briefly about Judge Rutherford and a little bit of uh, history about him. I'm not going to go into the facts here, when and where they were born and when they served as president and all that good stuff. Um, that information's out there. Even Watchtower has that stuff out there, even though, you know, beware. You have to dig for facts with Watchtower always. It's um, these guys and their histories are encased in a lot of myth and it's whitewashed, obviously redacted. Um, so you just have to take everything with a grain of salt that Watchtower says, as always. Don't trust them on their own history. Uh, that being said, there is some of their blunders Watchtower does admit to just because they're impossible to completely bury. So, Judge Rutherford. Okay. Why judge? Well, he was a lawyer. He essentially sat in as a substitute judge once and then took the title <laughs> for himself. <laughs> it's like being a substitute teacher for a day and then from that, from then on you call yourself teacher, I guess. So Judge Rutherford, Judge Dredd, um, as I mentioned in the first podcast, there's a book called The True Believer by Eric Hoffer. Read the fucking book, okay? Just read it. Read the book. Okay. And he lays out um, a kind of a progression that typically happens within true believer movements uh, in the leadership. The first leader or president in this case is a man of words. The second president is a fanatic, and the third president is a man of action. So we talked about Russell as a man of words, and then today let's talk about Rutherford as a fanatic. The number one point I want to make about Rutherford is that it's obvious to me in Washtower's writings that he was a complete douchebag, just a dickhead, a bully. <laughs> Why do I say that? Well... Watchtower admits that he well he was blunt, he was authoritative, 
But deep down, he was a loving guy who loved his brothers and sisters. And it was very Christ-like. I think, this is my opinion, they spent a lot of time emphasizing that people that knew him all did think he was a nice guy. <laughs> Which to me means that he was a complete dickhead. He was the worst. He must have been awful to be around. Can you just imagine? I mean, he called called himself fucking judge. So you can only imagine that's how he just handled people, right? Guilty. Next. <laughs> Not guilty. Next. So uh, it seems like he was pretty matter of fact, as they would put it. But I just think he was just a complete jerk. And if you look at his actions, it just seems like he only wanted, he alone wanted to be admired in the organization. Of course, as often happens in these scenarios, there was a power struggle for, you know, who would um, be the successor of Charles Taze Russell. Russell had pointed towards the entire board of directors as a group leading the organization. And then Rutherford, by some legal skullduggery, managed to wrest control for himself, boot a lot of the board of directors out who opposed that action. And then the rest that stayed, he squashed down and made them subordinates. Even though, as Jesus said, you're all brothers. Yeah, right. And yeah, so Rutherford, uh, on all accounts, was the fanatic, as pointed out by Eric Hoffer. What happened to the Rutherford? Holidays, gone. Birthdays, gone. Singing at the meetings, gone. Gone. <laughs> Congregation autonomy, gone. This guy just sucked. It seems like he just sucked. Wanted to suck all the joy out of the life <laughs> of the average Jehovah's Witness. On top of that, his words were crazy. He wrote crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. And <laughs> to the point where, and I, I just want to preface this by saying I don't agree with the government's action. I am a fan of free speech. But this was wartime. It's World War One time. And this guy is just writing shit about the government, about religion. Um, and he ends up going to trial for sedition. And him and his companions get thrown in prison <laughs> for that. Uh, again, don't agree with that action, but just goes to show how crazy he was. And he tried to backpedal. He tried to pull out some pages, but it was too little too late. Ended up in prison. Well, after, you know, the wartime hysteria calmed down, he, they, got, they all got an early release from prison. And if you think that reformed him, I've got news for you. It didn't. It only made him more fanatical. So he just kept going, just bitching about more than ever he thought that the the government was against him and that religion was against him and and so his fanaticism it the prison term only fanned the flames of this guy's fanaticism and so he got out and he just kept going just shitting on the governments and religion which is fine i mean there's obviously it's not hard to throw punches in either one of those directions uh he wasn't using a lot of self-reflection on his own actions obviously and I would like to, at this point, get to one of his big blunders. And I kind of referenced this with my drink pairing in the beginning. 
he sees the organization, this is my opinion of what happened, he sees the organization kind of demoralized, their leaders have been in prison, people are kind of down and out, it was, they just, the world just went through the First World War, and he needs something to get people moving. He wants people to preach more than anything else. He's like, but not preach out of the, motivated by your heart. Like, he wants it to be obligatory for people to preach and to preach a certain amount of hours. And he was the one that would kind of come up with this idea of our requirements and requiring people to preach. And so he thought back to, hmm, all right, now I know um, we made this prediction for 1914 at the end of the world that didn't happen. So surely we won't make another prediction. No, no, actually, I will make a prediction. I will make another prediction for the end of the world. 1925. He starts a campaign. Millions now living will never die. And they're all dead. They're all dead. But he thought in 1925, the end of the world was going to be coming and kind of to kick it off, God was going to bring back what he referred to as the ancient worthies or the princes, <laughs> which were Bible characters like King David and Abraham and Isaac. And he was going to bring these guys back and they were going to kind of help him run affairs on earth. I'm sure they'd be under him, of course, not uh, equals. And he's thinking to himself, these guys are coming back and they need a place to live. They need a place to live and they're princes. So obviously they need a mansion, <laughs> even though Jesus said that he had no place to lay his head. The guy didn't, Jesus, the son of God, didn't even own a fucking pillow. But these guys needed a mansion. And so sure enough, he builds a mansion and names it Beth Sarim, Beth Sarim, however you want to pronounce it, which means house of princes. <laughs> And he deeds it. He actually writes on the deed that this is for fucking King David and Abraham and Isaac. He deeds That's like how sure he was that the end was coming, right? Now, the interesting thing is it, it didn't come. I, I Sorry. Sorry. Bad news for you there. It didn't come. But, geez, there was this mansion that had to be lived in in California, right? You can't just leave that empty. So he would winter there. And it seems like he would winter there by himself, even though he had a wife and child. They didn't really want anything to do with him. Another indicator that more than likely he was a douchebag. I'm not going to get into the rumors about him. There's rumors about him being an alcoholic. There's rumors about him um, ha being a womanizer, so on and so forth. You know what? Name a religious leader. I, I, I'm, I find it hard to believe that m most guys aren't engaged in some type of be behavior like this especially in this time frame it just like and, and it's not just Jehovah's witnesses you go through the whole swath of religions and all i think all these guys were at some level were up to no good and had stuff going on in the background that makes them unfit as leaders whatever i don't really i'm not going to go into that right now um so anyways another i'm going to mention one other big blunder is kind of a big thing that and and the show's more anything else, there's the action itself and what's written, but it really just shows Rutherford's personality is that, and, and this is in one of the yearbooks, um, I believe it's the 1938 yearbook of Joe's Witnesses. Sorry, fact check this. Again, this is all over the internet. I'm not breaking news to anybody here. He wrote a declaration of facts for Hitler. Um, Hitler was starting to ban religions and 
some religions, um, a lot of them, and one of them was Jehovah's Witnesses that were going to be targeted. So Rutherford thought that there should be this campaign, and he would write a letter to Hitler to enlighten him <laughs> about the Jehovah's Witnesses' activities. And so he writes basically an anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish um, letter to Hitler saying that their goals and thoughts align on these matters and other matters and that Hitler shouldn't view them basically as enemies of his or ban them. Um, it is, there is some minor threats in there about God judging and all that stuff, but essentially there was kind of <laughs> some praise. And I know, like, I guess if you want to excuse a guy, it was early on for Hitler. I mean, this is pre-Holocaust, but still, I mean, still, come on. It, you know, Jehovah couldn't give them a little knowledge nugget right there. Just let them know, hey, don't, don't, no pro-Hitler or, you know, anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic rhetoric. <laughs> but no, no, it's out there too. You can find that. It's easy to research on the internet. And it's just, it's pretty incredible when you read it. Uh, Rutherford seemed to have a real problem with uh, the Jewish people. Anyways... Rutherford dies, and his successor is Nathan H. Knorr. And Knorr, is, in my mind, is just essentially a non-entity in regards to doctrine. Knorr, as far as I can tell, um, didn't have any brains for that or thoughts about it, really. I think he was a mouthpiece for someone at the headquarters named Fred Franz, who had been kind of an understudy of Rutherford, and Franz, as far as can be told, just basically ran all of the doctrine. He pumped out the doctrine, and Nor just basically gave talks from whatever Fred Franz told him, and Fred Franz, I think, was doing the majority of the, the writing and just directing all of the doctrinal business. Now, what Nor was... And again, this aligns with the true believer, Eric Hoffer, is he was a man of action. Um, Nor had wanted to be, if he hadn't been one of Jehovah's Witnesses, wanted to essentially be like a district manager for a department store. That would have been his dream. He would just, every fiber in his body said manager. He was a manager, 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 manager. And so... He was the one that really franchised Jehovah's Witnesses. I, not that it wasn't expanding and growing before that. Rutherford, again, made a big push with preaching and phonographs and sound cars and uh, people marching and sandwich boards. And, you know, he was making a big push for the preaching, but Nor was the one that really franchised it. Uh, Nor made a sales program. That would become come to be known as the Theocratic Ministry School. Nor made a missionary school, which was like, all this is just like standardized Jehovah's Witness education that he was pumping out. And he was trying to turn people into like salespeople. He would say teachers and preachers, but it was salespeople, sales tactics, how to overcome objections, how to essentially negotiate, <laughs> how to sell the product. And... I think that he wanted to take some of the hard edge off of the Rutherford. And instead of making 
things so scathing, even though things were still pretty scathing towards religion and government, I think he was the one that tried to put more of a shine on it. And Nor was also into just buying up real estate building. I think he was the one that kind of got the building craze going with Jehovah's Witnesses. Just expansion, expansion, expansion. And he was flying just tens of thousands of miles all over the world, you know, missionary homes and training people and branches. And I think he was really the one that was responsible. There was Jehovah's Witnesses in a different part of the world, but he was the one that really wanted to make it a worldwide organization. And so that's what his focus was. He was just traveling, organizing, traveling, organizing, just an obsessive organizer. And he was concerned with what I can tell with streamlining things and cutting costs and just all in all a businessman. And the thing is, is that he should have been paying attention to the crazy shit that Fred France was saying and doing and writing. But he was just so, I think he was just so busy doing his thing that he didn't give any mind to doctrine. And if you go, there's a kind of an old timey video. I don't even know if they still make it, but maybe it's on their website. It was called the new world society in action. And you know, it's like, it's really, (laughs) it's like a black and white film of how the organization works. And that's what Nor wanted to make like a, like a corporation. He wanted to make a, a video showing how the corporation works. And so it's like, Brooklyn, 1947. Nathan H. Knorr is up in his office. Here he is, typing away. Oh, here comes a telegram. Oh, here goes Nathan Knorr. And it's just like, <laughs> it's literally what's going on there. It's just like, it's it's a, it just really puts a light on the corporate nature of it. And I would say the biggest blunder that happened under Nathan H. Knorr, there were two things and one is directly his fault and the other one is um, his fault just by not taking responsibility for what was happening the first thing was the fact that he painted he must have got this the ugly ass light mint green paint on clearance it must have been free or they were giving it away and god damn it if he didn't paint the inside of all the factory buildings, the same exact color, top to bottom, inside and out. Not always, but inside with that damn green paint, like everything was the same color. It didn't matter what, like, which building you walked in. I swear it was all the same color, and it was just awful. Just awful. Not that I'm saying that factories need to be appealing, but come on, man. Come on. And the second thing was 1975. Now, Nor wasn't the architect of 1975 again that goes back to fred franz he was pumping out the doctrine but it was happening under Nor's watch because it started happening in the 60s and um i essentially think that nor again could have cared less about doctrine that's he just was obsessed with being a manager so whatever happened happened and finally um that's all i'm going to say about nor Really, I don't think there's that much to say about him other than that that's interesting. He 
at the end of his life and the end of his presidency would watch kind of control taken out of his hands and out of Fred Franz's hands directly, even though Fred Franz would continue to have a big influence on all things doctrine, but that's when the governing body arrangement came into being, which from all accounts, Nor was not a fan of. He didn't want to lose the presidency, but um, people were pushing for the leadership to become a group, and they were citing the Bible as the basis for that. Well, the apostles were a group. They didn't have a single president, nor being old at this point and maybe having a brain tumor or something going on. There's something going on up there, but he essentially just gave in, and that was it. And Nor uh, died, the governing body came into effect, and that is the current arrangement for Jehovah's Witnesses. There's a group of men, I've explained on another podcast, that run things. And I just want to say that having been an elder's body, even though there's no one leader per se, or one president these days of the Watchtower, in an elder body, there's always one or two elders who are louder and bigger bullies than the rest, and they tend to push the body around, and there's a bunch of men who are ready to acquiesce, as they say, and allow these one or two men to basically impose their will on others. I don't know if that's happening in the governing body, but I wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't happen. Not to say they don't all have their roles and that things they're doing, but I would say the general direction of the organization could be strongly influenced by the strongest personalities in the group. So those are my thoughts on Nor and Rutherford. I know it's disjointed and rambling and um, hemming and hawing and searching for words. I'm not prepared. I'm not going off an outline <laughs> or a manuscript, but I just wanted to get this out there. Uh, finally and talk about it a little bit. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Armageddon Podcast at gmail.com or through Instagram at Armageddon Podcast.